Good morning. Welcome to Houghton Wesleyan Church. Glad you're here this morning. Would you stand and we'll join in reading our call to worship responsibly. Rejoice, heavenly powers. Sing choirs of angels. Exalt all creation around God's throne. Sound the trumpet of salvation. Rejoice, O earth, in shining splendor, radiant in the brightness of your King. Christ has conquered. Glory fills the skies. Darkness vanishes forever. Rejoice, O church, exalt in glory. The risen Savior shines upon us. Let this place resound with joy, echoing the mighty song of all God's people. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for this place and this hour set apart for your worship. We pray, God, that you would meet us here today in bright glory, in shining power. Meet us in the glory of the cross and the power of the empty tomb so that we can leave here ready to lay down our lives for each other, ready to lay down our lives for the world, confident that our true life is hidden in you and that we can take it up again on the last day. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.
Amen. Before you're seated, share a word of greeting, a word of peace with others who are here in worship today. Morning. There are um, some inserts in your bulletin today that are related to, a couple of them related to opportunities for ministry this summer. And I know some of you will not be here this summer, but for those of you who are, you have some opportunities to work with our children, to help them uh, in their uh, journey with Christ, even at a very young age. And uh, I think you would find it a great blessing to uh, be a part of their uh, spiritual nurturing. So if you're interested in helping with the nursery or children's church or Sunday school, there are appropriate forms in the bulletin about that. You can drop in the offering plate or hand it to an usher or one of the pastors uh, after today, or you can drop it by the church office this week. Please note that for the nursery, today's the last day to sign up for that or for the next few months as the schedule will be made tomorrow. There's also an insert about the 30-day famine, 30-hour famine, I should say, that the uh, youth group is doing. They're going to be really hungry. <laughs> We're going to spring that on them once they get here. That uh, It's not quite what they thought it was. 30-hour uh, famine. And uh, they'll be doing that Friday. And if you could help and support them as the food goes to famine relief uh, in places of the world. Tonight, Koinonia is at 7. And we have it's a special gathering. Jared Anderson, who wrote the song, Here is Some Heaven, that we've used as, a part of, as our theme for a number of our prayer vigils, will be leading the time of worship tonight uh, in the chapel at 7. And I think it would be a wonderful time together of worshiping God and we invite you to be a part of that. Wednesday evening, the ministry is on regular schedule. Just uh, the note there is a special event for the girls club. Next Sunday morning, we worship at 829, 40, and 11. As you are, you may be aware that Pastor Todd and his family will be leaving us at the end of May. And uh, this coming Sunday, a week from today, we are having uh, a, a reception for them. We wanted to do this before... Uh, college was out because I know a lot of the people that Pastor Todd works with works with a lot of college students who want to give them a chance to be a part of this. A come and go reception in the community room next Sunday from 2 to 4. We also are at that time of the year where we are uh, preparing for the election of our leaders for the next year. We are holding the elections a little bit differently this year. Uh, we decided, but the membership decided a year ago that we would have the elections on uh, Sunday morning, May 20th, and that will be. Uh, around the worship services. And so in preparation for that, there are ballots, uh, draft ballots posted around the church, and we invite you, encourage you to take a look at that, begin praying about that. If you uh, would like to present a name to the nominating committee for consideration to be added to the ballot, uh, you have this week to do that. Just write that down and uh, put it in an envelope, and you can uh, drop it off at the church office through next Sunday. And then after that, the uh, final ballot will be posted, and the election will be on the 20th. There are a number of prayer concerns that are always in the bulletin related to our lives and the lives of uh, others around us in the world, and we continue to ask for God's grace in the midst of each of those situations. I invite you to take your bulletins and join me in the prayer of confession. Let us pray together. Holy and merciful God, in your presence we confess our sinfulness, our shortcomings, and our offenses against you. 
You alone know how often we have sinned in wandering from your ways, in wasting your gifts, in forgetting your love. Have mercy on us, O Lord, for we are ashamed and sorry for all we have done to displease you. Forgive our sins and help us to live in your light and walk in your ways for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Savior.
The Old Testament reading this morning is from Deuteronomy, chapter 8, verses 1 through 18. This entire commandment that I command you today, you must diligently observe, so that you may live and increase, and go in and occupy the land that the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember the long way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness in order to humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. He humbled you by letting you hunger, then by feeding you with manna with which neither you nor your ancestors were acquainted, in order to make you understand that one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The clothes on your back did not wear out. Your feet did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a parent disciplines a child, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Therefore, keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land flowing with streams, with springs, with underground waters welling up in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land where you may eat bread without scarcity, where you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and from whose hills you may mine copper. You shall eat your fill and bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. Take care that you do not forget the Lord your God by failing to keep his commandments, his ordinances, and his statutes, which I am commanding you today. When you have eaten your fill, when you have built fine houses and live in them, when you, your herds and flocks have multiplied, your silver and gold is multiplied, all that you have is multiplied, then don't exalt yourself, forgetting the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery who led you through a great and terrible wilderness, an arid wasteland with poisonous snakes and scorpions. He made water flow for you from flint rock and fed you in the wilderness with manna that your ancestors didn't know to humble you, to test you, and in the end to do you good. Do not say to yourself, my power and the might of my own hand have gotten me this wealth. But remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you power to get wealth, so that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your ancestors, as he is doing today. This is the word of the Lord. Now I'd like to ask you to stand, and we'll sing the Gloria Patri as the ushers come forward. Faithful God, we don't presume to say, my power and the might of my own hand have gotten me this wealth. It's all from you. It was here before we were here. It will be given to another when we're gone. We give these gifts today in faith, 
and faith that you can do more with these gifts than we can do on our own. We give them to in joyful submission to each other in the body of Christ. May the act of giving strengthen our faith in you and our fidelity to each other. And may your word go forth with power. Amen. Because our Redeemer lives, we know that when we pray, He hears us. We have the opportunity now to pray together, and if you would like to use the altar as your place of prayer, I invite you to join me. Father, we thank you that Christ lives, that we worship a risen Savior, that we come to you today in worship as people of the resurrected Christ. Father, as we come to this moment of prayer, there's a lot of of things in our corporate hearts and minds. We come today acknowledging our sin. The times when we, even this week, have turned our own way instead of your way. 
We acknowledge the pain that we and those we love feel from all of the, the struggles that come to us in this life. We know that there are those struggling with grief from a recent death. Some of us are dealing with yearnings in our souls and passions and desires that we hope to accomplish and it seems as though every door is being shut. We come today thinking about the future looking for a crystal clear plan ahead and often finding that the way is foggy and a bit murky and unsettling. Father, in this moment of silence, whatever burden is in our hearts, we offer it to you and we ask for your help. Father, we pray for your grace to be poured out on our world. On our brothers and sisters who face opposition and worse. For so many in the world who do not have the basic necessities of life. For places and nations where violence is simply commonplace. And war is simply the reality of everyday life. We pray that you will intervene in the way you know us best. We offer our prayers today in the grace and power of Christ. Our Savior, our risen Lord, the one who has ascended and is with you now and is returning for his children. And as we offer our prayers to you, we join our hearts in the prayer that Jesus taught all of his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. New Testament reading this morning is from 2 Peter, chapter 1, 
verses 12 through 21. Therefore, I intend to keep on reminding you of these things, though you know them already and are established in the truth that has come to you. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to refresh your memory, since I know that my death will come soon, as indeed our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort, so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. For we do not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we have been eyewitnesses to his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when that voice was conveyed to him by the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice come from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic message more fully confirmed. You'll do well to be attentive to this as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. First of all, you must understand this, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, because no prophecy ever came by human will, but men and women moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. This is the word of the Lord.
Please be seated. What was the uh, most memorable play on words, the most memorable thing you forgot? For me, it was 1973. I was in eighth grade, and I played the trumpet. Now, you know, that's been quite a few years ago, and I wasn't very good then, so, you know, it it didn't last with me. But I played the trumpet from fifth grade to eighth grade. And um, I stopped playing the trumpet after eighth grade for a variety of reasons. One, I, I really wasn't all that interested in it. I would much rather sing than play that. Uh, I think my performance probably had something to do with it as well, but it also had something to do with my band teacher. Now, you know, when you're in eighth grade, you're 13 years old, everybody over the age of 40 looks maybe like they're 70, right? I mean, you know, you, you just can't judge ages. I don't know how old my band teacher was, but he had really gray hair and... I think a lot of the, he might have been 25, but it was just from being a junior high band teacher. That might have got what did the gray hair. I don't know. But, uh, but I think he'd been a band teacher, junior high band teacher a long time, and it was starting to wear on him. Uh, you know, he, he had such a temper, and he would yell and scream at us. And, and I remember many of us at ver, a variety of times during those four years uh, ducking erasers that were fl- thrown at us or his baton that he'd throw at us. You know, and I, you can get away with those things probably in the 70s as you could now. But, but you know, you just, I, we were scared to death of the guy. I've seen him many times rip an instrument out of one of the students' hands and show them how to play it. And, you know, he, he was frightening. And um, so, you know, it doesn't probably can make it conducive for you to stick with something when you've got this teacher that's doing that to you. But I remember this particular, in eighth grade, uh, there were... Three other guys and me who we formed this trumpet quartet and we were going to play a piece for the all-city festival contest thing that they had in Evansville. And so we practiced months and months and months. And we're getting closer. We started practicing over the noon hour. And the day of the performance, uh, the contest, we practiced that noon and, you know, talking about when we're getting together. And that night, the phone rang at our house. And when the phone rang, I thought to myself, that reminds me of something, but I can't think what it is. And then my mother said, Wes, Mr. Offelstadt's on the phone for you. And then I remembered. And, you know, I don't know how far your heart can actually sink. If it can go below your toes, but that's how I felt. And I remembered in that moment, I'd completely forgotten about the contest. It was 8, 8.30. The con- our performance time was at 6.40 something. Totally missed it. And he was calling to yell at me. Um, and, you know, the other three guys, they were so angry with me. And, you know, it took a long time to mend those relationships. But, you know, it's not the, it wasn't the first thing I'd ever forgotten. It's certainly not the last thing I've ever forgotten. And I suspect that you have had some kind of experience that might be similar to that. Where something you really wanted to do, you forgot. Something you had intended to do, you forgot. Something that um, maybe someone was counting on you and you forgot. Because the reality is human beings forget. I mean, we forget stuff. We 
we, we can't remember everything that we're supposed to remember. We wrestle with forgetting. And Peter understands that. And part of the reason why he writes this passage, this section that he does here that we read this morning, is because he knows how prone we are to forgetting. And so he begins, I'm going to remind you of these things, even though you know them, you're firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it's right to refresh your memory. I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. Remember, remember, remember. And Peter keeps, keeps saying to them and he's saying to us, it is so important to remember because we so easily forget. What does it mean to remember? You know, you, you think about what, mem- what, it, what it means to remember something. We, we have a tendency to think that it's, I just recall that to mind. I think of it. But remembering is, is a lot more than that. God says to the Israelites here in Deuteronomy 8, verse 11, Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. And how, do we know, how will I know that you've forgotten? Because you have failed to observe the commands, laws, and decrees that he's given you this day. Forgetting and remembering, it's about doing something. I think about how God said to the Israelites, when they were in Egypt, he said to Moses, I've remembered my people. Now, does that mean that, I've been having trouble with this mic all day today. Uh, does that mean that, that God all of a sudden went, oh, no, I totally forgot about those people down in Egypt. Or, you know, that completely slipped my mind. I was going to do that yesterday, and I totally forgot about it, like we might. No. God doesn't do that. He remembers. Not as though God needed to recall them to mind. It's so much more than that. For God to remember them means that he sends Moses and he sends plagues and he brings his people out. And remembering always has some kind of action involved to it. If you say to someone, hey, I remembered your birthday a month ago. What does that mean? You remember their birthday. They know you remembered Why? Because you said happy birthday. Maybe you purchased a gift for them or you went to their party. You do remembering his action to it. And Peter's saying, I want you to remember the things that you have learned. I want you to remember. I want you to develop a Christian memory. That's what we're trying to do in our children and people who are new to the faith, trying to develop a Christian memory. That's why we tell them the stories over and over again. That's why we talk to them about the scriptures. That's why we talk about Christ in our homes and when we're here and in different places. Because we want to develop in them a Christian memory. Some of you may have grown up in a place where, maybe you grew up in a place where there, there was a Christian influence. And, and you have no Christian memory. In our country, that's becoming more and more common. That you, you can't talk about things from the Bible and, and expect people to understand what you're talking about. If you mention the prodigal son, you might get 50% of the people who know what that means. The others are saying, I don't know. Because we don't have the same kind of Christian memory. and We need to develop that. But actually, Peter's talking to people who have a Christian memory. He says, beginning in verse 12... I want to remind you of things even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. You see, we never outgrow the need to be reminded. We never outgrow the need to remember the things of God and to develop our Christian memory. 
If you're like me, you grew up in the church and, and you, you knew the stories from uh, as a little child. And the stories of the scripture are familiar to you. And many passages in the scriptures are, are, are familiar to you. And you understand even some of the depths of theology of what, what Christians believe. Nevertheless, we all need to continue to develop our Christian memory. Because the evil one is continually pushing against us, putting, putting words into our minds and ideas into our minds. God really doesn't care about you. God, how do you know God is really going to be faithful? Are you sure God is good in the same way he did Adam and Eve in the garden? And in those moments, our Christian memories are resource. To say, no, wait a second, the scriptures tell us this. I know this is true about God. And we come back to that memory that we've developed. So what is it we remember? Peter says we remember Christ. Remember the things that the scriptures teach us about Christ. In verses 16 to 18, he he reminds them of the story that I'm sure he's told them many times. About being on the mountain with James and John and Jesus is transfigured. It's hard to know exactly what that, what Jesus, you know, if this is the image of Jesus that we will see in heaven. This is his eternal existence. He, he, they recognize him, but he's very different too. And we don't know that, but he seems to really be focused on God's words about Jesus. This is my son. I love him. Listen to him. It's about Jesus being the, the son of God, being the resurrected Christ, being the one we focus our attention on. And our Christian memory is always focused on who Christ is and what Christ has done. But then Peter goes on in the end of this section to talk about the scriptures. Because where do we learn about Christ? Where do we know about him? Well, Peter was an eyewitness, but as he says, once I'm gone, most of the eyewitnesses are going to be gone. So what do you have left? You have the prophecies. You have the scriptures that God has given us. And for us, everything we know about who God is, everything we know about what it means to be a follower of God is, is rooted and grounded in the scriptures. And our Christian memories need to be rooted and grounded in the scriptures. In essence, I think Peter is, is talking about what Paul talks about in 2 Timothy, where he says... All scripture is God breathed. And Peter's saying here, the, the scriptures are not tales that someone made up. These are not cleverly devised stories that someone thought, well, that would be fun to say. This is the truth. This is not just about the truth, this is the truth. This is the only certainty we have about knowing who God is. And what God expects of us and how God wants to be in relationship with us and the call of God on our lives, we find that in the scriptures. It seems to me from the way Peter is is writing here that probably the same situation was a struggle in that day as it is now of people looking at the scriptures and saying, well, this is true and this is not. And often that's based on if I can understand this, if I can explain it, then it must be true. Which means that the scriptures are subject to our understanding. And if I like this particular passage, if it makes sense to me, if I can get my mind around it, then it must be true. And if I can't, then it must not be true. 
And we end up with a, a perspective of the scriptures where the scriptures are, are enslaved to us. And we condemn when scholars do that, and yet we have a tendency to do that too. We keep coming back again and again and again to the scriptures we like, the scriptures that affirm us, the scriptures that, that uh, you know, affirm the things that we're doing. And we tend to ignore the scriptures that don't do that. Gee, that's kind of convicting. I think I'll stay away from that one for a while. I don't understand what God's trying to say here. That doesn't make sense to me. I'll just ignore that. Instead of trying to understand, instead of praying for wisdom and seeking out people and trying to, to grasp what we can of the scriptures. But whether we can understand it or not, the scriptures are breathed into being by God. And either they're all true or they're all susceptible. And the minute the scriptures become in any way susceptible, then the reliability, the trustworthiness of the scriptures deteriorates. And along with it, our memory. Peter's trying to help us understand that if we're going to stand up against the forces of evil in this world, if we're going to be able to stand tall when the enemy pushes in against us, we have to develop a Christian memory that's grounded in the Word of God as the truth of God. So how do we do that? How do we develop a Christian memory? How do we create Christian memory? How do we enhance our Christian memory? Well, some of that takes place by our own individual efforts that that we as individual followers of Christ spend time reading the Scriptures and in prayer and, and, and seeking God and absorbing everything we can about the truth of God. But I am convinced that our Christian memories are primarily shaped and developed in the church. It's in the church that we learn from each other. It's in the church that we are challenged to grow together. It's why we come together for worship. Because together we are reminding each other that this is really about God. And when we're by ourselves, it's so easy to begin thinking that it's all about me. But we come together and we wrestle together with each other. And we, you know, we're family together and community together. And we go through the ups and downs of that. Why do we do that? Because it's about God, not about us. And it's about developing our hearts and our memories about a God who can take people as diverse as we might be and make community out of us. And we learn from each other and we grow with each other and we challenge each other and we come together in worship and we sing the songs and we read the scriptures and we pray the prayers and we hear the word proclaimed together. It's what the church is about. And the fathers through the centuries have have thought of ways that help us develop our Christian memory as the church. And I think one of the key ways is the church calendar. And I know I keep talking about this and I was thinking about it earlier this week and I think it's because I wasn't raised with it. And and once I embraced it, it, I realized how valuable the calendar can be to every year on this cycle be reminded that I need to prepare for the coming of Christ instead of just buying into what the culture does to prepare for Christmas. And I need to remember that God revealed himself through Christ to all people. And I need to focus on the cross during Lent 
And I need to remember that, that I and we are resurrection people as we celebrate the season of Easter. And I need to remember that the church is God's presence on this earth as we celebrate Pentecost. And then we get back to Advent and we do it all again. And we keep repeating it over and over and over again. Why? Because we forget. And we get enamored with all the other stuff in our lives. And that stuff that presses in on us takes first place and we forget. And so we come together every week to remember. And to remind each other. And the symbols that that the church has given us. The cross. Candles. You know, we light the candles in the same way that God uh, commanded the Israelites to light the candles in the temple to remind them that God, who is represented by light, is with them always. And that when we gather for worship, this light reminds us God is here and God is at work and he wants to do something in our lives. So at baptism, we give people a, a candle. And I, and I tell all the people who are baptized that a year from now, on the anniversary of your baptism, take out that candle. And if you can convince your family and friends to throw you a party, and if they have cake and bring gifts, that's a bonus. But you, you get everybody together and, and you relive your baptism. You remember it. Talk about what you were thinking, what you were feeling. Why were you baptized? What was going on in you when you were being baptized? What was it like when you came up out of the water? And afterwards, as people greeted you, think about the vows that you take when in, in baptism and recommit yourself to those every year. I mean, it would, nothing would thrill me more than, than to have someone come back to me at some point in time and say, it's been so many years since my baptism, I've got this much candle left. We'll give you another one. Because we're remembering Why do we remember? Because we so easily forget what is most important. We live in a world in which we're we're continually bombarded with good when God wants best. That's why we we set up the stones out here in, in the grass behind the sign to remind us of that first prayer vigil when we came together and God did something miraculous for us. And I hope that if you were a part of that, every time you walk by those stones... It it triggers a memory for you. And for people who are new, that it triggers a question. What do those stones mean? And we have the opportunity to tell what God did for us. And this table. Jesus says this is one of God's greatest gifts for remembering Christ. Jesus at that meal, that first, first supper with his disciples when he instituted... This, this sacrament and he says to them do this in remembrance of me every time you do this remember me remember who I am and what I've done and what I mean to your life and in remembering follow obey open your heart to me remember Remember how much I love you and care for you. And remember, I'm going to the cross for you. Remember. I don't know if you have seen this television show. It's, it was, it's new this year. I, I think it's on CBS. It's called Unforgettable. 
And it's a, it's a drama, a police drama about a woman who has this unbelievable memory. And she uses her memory to help solve cases. There is a, there's a section at the beginning of, the, of every episode where this woman says, I'm Carrie Wells. And there are few people in this world who can remember every single thing about their life. But I'm one of those people. He says, you pick any day of my life and I can tell you what I heard, what I saw, what I was wearing, what other people were wearing. Faces, conversations, clues. I remember every detail. She says, my life is unforgettable. She's right. There are very few people in the world who can do that. And that's why we need to be reminded. That's why we need to remember who God is, what God has done, what God wants to do, the promises of God, the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God, the grace and mercy of God. And in remembering, we open our hearts just a bit more. So that his grace fills us and helps us develop an even stronger, clearer memory of him. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the gift of Christ. And for all the ways in which you remind us of who you are and of what you have done. We pray that as we prepare to receive the bread and the cup, that you will pour out your divine blessing through your Holy Spirit on these elements. That as we put them into our bodies we may know the food of your spirit for our souls. And that we will be reminded once again of your grace and mercy to us through Christ. Pour out the abundance of your blessing on these gifts. And we pray this through Christ. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He gave thanks to the Father in heaven and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the same night, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples saying, drink from this all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. As you're released by Rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it, and then you may return to your seat by the outside aisles. 
you'd like to stay at the, and pray at the altar, it is always open for you to do so. And I'd like to mention that we practice open communion here at the Wesleyan Church. This may be the first time you've worshipped here, but if you come today with your heart open to Christ and desire to know Him and to receive His grace, then you are wholeheartedly invited to come and to receive these gifts from our loving and gracious Heavenly Father.
May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.